Welcome to Anyone Can Play Guitar, where we try to learn every Radiohead song on guitar in order. I'm Nick Kendallsberger. And I'm Austin Diaz. Austin, we're back. I know the reason is that you texted me and you're like, you texted me like last week. You're like, hey, Austin, can we record this week? I'm like, no, <laughs> we can't. And you're like, well, I'm ready to go. I'm like, okay, well, I have to get ready to go. I also had a show, but. How was the show? Um, yeah, you know, it was okay. okay. I realized that I have to like get my own gear in terms of amp. Oh, yeah. That's a whole level of, of musician. Yeah, I, like I have to, I realize I have to start getting into gear again. Cause I just been like using borrowed amps, like at the last moment that are bigger. And then, you know, I don't get the levels right with my pedals. And so I go for the solo and then nobody can hear it. So yeah, I ordered a orange micro terror, which is like a little preamp head that, that I can like run into. I can practice it at home with my headphones all of the levels and stuff. And then it's just about running it into a box. I see. At the show. Well, so we're to the album that we both were most worried about before starting this project. When it was released in 2011, what were your initial reactions? I know I listened to it because when I've now re-listened to it, there are just like, many flashes of recognition, like all these little details in the songs that I'm like, oh yeah, I know this, but I don't, I don't remember listening to it. It came out with almost no fanfare. It was just like here. It was only eight tracks, two small records, like two 10 inch. So is it like two songs on each side? Yeah. Two songs each side. Oh, that's so annoying. I hate that. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was also annoying. I, I think I mainly listened to the MP3, and I don't have a record player now at the moment. I have the record okay. still. I looked at it. It's very okay. pretty. You? I have never had a time wherein a Radiohead album came, I listened to it, and I'm like, this one is not for me. <laughs> I gave up on the album quickly, which had mm-hmm. never happened before. Even albums that I didn't think I liked that much, like Hail to the Thief, there were still songs there, and I kept trying to figure it out. I've never had a thing where I was just like, oh, yeah, well, clearly they didn't make this one for me. (laughs) (laughs) They did not have me in mind. (laughs) They did not have Nick Kendallsberger in mind when they made this. And so I just moved on. Ooh, that's tough. What was it like for you to finally listen to it again? It was a slow process. That's the best that I can put it. Is that okay. I would listen to it and then I was like, oh, okay, this is much more complex and interesting than I thought, but I'm not quite into it yet. I was like, oh, this is Portishead or, or this is Aphex Twin or this is, you know, like, I, like influence that I've, influences that I've gone back and heard I was making connections with, but not necessarily connecting with the album. At some point, as we'll get into, it switched over. I was determined not to listen to it for a bit. I thought we were going to take a break, have a good summer, and then I would kind of listen to it. And, you know, that lasted a week, and then I listened to it. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember I was walking my dog through the park close to us, and then I put it on, and it all of a sudden made sense. And it made sense in a way that I... 
I don't think there's any way it would have if we hadn't done this project. And it didn't click like, oh, this is my favorite album now. It, it clicked in a way of like, I understand what is going on. I hadn't even read anything at that point, but the way that, that they created the album is very different from their previous work and that they kind of spent time in L.A., sort of jamming on songs. And then they spent a long time taking those, converting them into loops and sort of acting as DJs, combining layers on top of other layers. And and right. that's how the songs were constructed, which then led me to listen to the From the Basement performance. And then once you have that, you know, that completely changed everything. Wherein, like, now we have these two sides of a coin, essentially, mm -hmm. to look at these different songs. I don't think you can talk about the King of Limbs album without mentioning the From the Basement performance anymore. Like, I think that they are twins that you have to discuss together. Yeah, you warned me that we were going to be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so I have watched it. Yeah, so I feel like... My opinion on the album has almost completely changed. Oh, I um I'm I'm close to 180, maybe I'm at like 170. Okay. In terms of my opinion of the album, which only really more came when I started to try and learn it. Yeah, it's that's very true. I thought that this would be impossible to <laughs> perform on the guitar or like really boring and it wasn't it's not at all. it's not boring at all. It's, it was actually super fun to try to learn all of these little parts. Well, I, uh, yeah, I don't know where to bring this in. Another reason I talked about the show maybe more than I wanted to is that just in general, especially after last season and then working on these songs, I feel like this project has sort of brought my guitar playing to a precipice where either I just sort of like, okay, I can hang out here and I kind of know that my technique and stuff is not great. Like I'm not a great, I'm like a very mediocre guitar player, but like I'm at the tippy top of mediocre. Yeah. Okay. Where, where I know what I could do to like be, be really good again, be like where I, how I was earlier, but that would take, you know, sitting down and picking with a metronome, going through exercises, warming up every time, paying attention to like up and down picks not just strokes of the chords but like up and down how i am picking the songs and like these parts some of them in, unless you're paying attention to your up and down strokes like it doesn't work and you can hear everything because they're they're pretty simple parts much of the album yeah but it's how it's performed that gives it the style and the sound of it and especially when you're looping guitar parts then any mistake is repeated exactly <laughs> indefinitely oh, and so I yeah know. <laughs> and so i think that this album actually the guitar approach is worked so well on this album way better than i thought it would yeah and has helped me understand these songs i still have issues galore don't worry <laughs> <laughs> but I was I was worried that we were going to get to this album and be like, well, we talked a lot about Radiohead. It was a good run. Stop. <laughs> it was a good run. I think what we should do is just get to the first song here. Yeah, let's just jump in. We've already been talking for 25 minutes. I know, I know, I know. Okay. <laughs> so the first song is Bloom. Bloom. 
hard to start talking about this song because at this point I have so many versions in my head. It's like the album version, there's from the basement version, there's from, there's that ready recording that Tom yeah. did. And then by there's himself. by himself. And then there's yeah. the orchestral version that was for Blue Planet 2. Yep. Blue Planet 1 having inspired the song in the first place. What did it sound like to you the first time you heard this song? Portishead. Portishead. <laughs> Especially this new time in 2023 when I put it on. I was like, oh, this is Portishead. But this song, like, every time I listened to it again, it opened up a bit more. Or there was something else that I realized was going on. And there's so many things going on. <laughs> there are a lot of things going on. There's at least three different drum loops happening at the same time. Right, and it's polytemporal, which means like the <laughs> is at least one of the drums is on a different tempo. Oh yes. And the for other sure. drums but in the somehow within the same measure. I don't I don't I really don't understand it. I've read that Brad Osborne section on this song. Oh, I have it. Do you want to hear it? I I've read it like five times <laughs> and I looked at the notation with like the little arrow. Yep. You know. Yeah, the forward pointing arrow in my transcription indicates that the would be second note of the quarter note triplet is displaced later in the measure by a rhythmic interval impractical to notate by any conventional standards. It is necessary to understand just how small of a time a window we are talking about here. If it were the second note of a quarter note triplet, it would occur 0.33 seconds of the way through the first half note. But he thinks that it's a tiny space between 0.2657 of a second and 0. 0.3019 of a second. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, the only the the only illustration that helped in the book was when he said, if you're looking at a track uh, for runners and there's a runner on the inside track and then there's a runner in the fourth lane or the third lane and they start yeah. at the same time. And they stay in their lane the whole way around. Polytemporal is that they both get to back in front of you at the same time. So they're like in the same measure, but like the one in track in the fourth lane has to run much faster than the one in the innermost lane to keep up. I mean, I have to admit, the first time I heard this song, I thought it was just nonsense. With that drum beat, the boom, 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 boom. It felt needlessly out of step a roadblock set up just to confuse people with no positive attributes of its own. But there is something weird about it that the more you listen to it, the more it makes sense. The more I listen to it, the more I just like feel it in my body. It's sort of like nice rending of, of myself. Okay. Right? Like trying to keep up with the both tempora. Yeah, like, I mean, had we not done the podcast this way, I would not have appreciated it, I don't think. Because we have to try to understand every layer of this song. It is wonderful when the part that Ed plays in the video is, like, basically just one chord to kind of fight against the sort of chaos that's going in. But, like, the saving grace of this song and of much of the album is the bass. I don't think this song exists without the bass line. It is astonishing 
And it apparently was conceived very late in the game of the song. They said they had this thing and they didn't know what it was. And then all of a sudden, Colin started playing that bass. And then it became a song. Well, I mean, but he was sort of MVP in that respect uh, with Nude on the last album, right? It's true, yeah. You know, like that song does not escape the OK Computer era until it comes in with that bass line that wasn't there before. It's hard to explain how important that bass line is, but you know it is important because when Tom performed it by himself, he actually played the piano chords of the bass. Like, that's the song. And it shows up again in the Blue Planet 2 version. I mean, in the Vox video for the Blue Planet 2 version that they did with Hans Zimmer, they describe it as aleatoric. You know, alia is dice in Latin. So it's about the, it's arranged and played in a sort of dice-like fashion, aleatoric fashion, where they're just sort of randomly picking the notes and stuff. But like, it's also how they put the song together. It's sort of randomly, but there's these hooks still. There's the bass line that's in the hook. There's the drums that don't stop. And but then everything else on top of it is just sort of chaos. Not chaos, right? It's fate. You know, Alia Yakta is like the die is cast. But there's like, I think that the, or the songs didn't stick with me as like units back in 2011. But this aleatoric element, like these, this chord that's popping up or like other elements that pop up is it's still, there's something sort of special about it that like stuck with me that I realized that then evoked immediate recognition of the songs. What is clear this time, they created a very complicated, confusing rhythm section. Instead of putting a very complicated, crazy melody on top, they stripped all of that back. Brad Osborne also has a great thing about this where he says, when Radiohead presents unconventional or experimental timbers or rhythms, they do so within song forms that are recognizable. Or conversely, when composing experimental song forms, there is less room for confusing rhythms or timbers. Uh, in Rainbows has a lot of like straightforward instrumental tracks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like there are people playing guitars and drums on basically all the songs and there aren't that many crazy instruments. But the song forms are very complex. So there's a lot of terminally climatic songs as we've talked about. The opposite is true on King of Limbs, wherein... The timbers and rhythms are very crazy, but then the song is like is usually strophic, which is sort of like A A B A or verse chorus. There are no terminally climatic songs on King of Limbs. And so, and I think it works so well here, and especially Tom's vocal, wherein he's just hitting like a few notes, but he's singing the hell out of it. Schopenhauer. Wrote a lot, wrote, has this like very famous section on music and his work on will and things. And he's, he concentrates on the fact that like melody is the most important when it comes to a song, because that's when like the will that is expressing itself is the most articulate and the most forceful. And he sort of discounts or disparages harmony and timbre. And he was very influential on people like Wagner later. And Wagner was very influential on people later than that. Uh, Schopenhauer has this famous line 
that I found when I was reading Cormac McCarthy's last novel. We now know that it's his last R.I.P. Yeah. Um, where, you know, that Schopenhauer says, if the world ceased to exist, there would still be music because the rules of music and harmony and melody like exist outside of anything that we would create. Like it, it, the rules are there. Well, I find that he's wrong and right about melody. Like melody is the reason that we remember in rainbows much better than we remember this album because that album is packed with melody. And this one is packed with harmony and rhythm and timbre. Ways that this album has made me think <laughs> as we've been listening to it. I can't articulate it correctly other than that it makes me go back to Schopenhauer, which is like very pretentious, but also like very exhilarating in a different sense. It still is a very weird album to me in that I definitely understand it and appreciate it more than I used to. But it is it's still one of those things that like I don't know if I like listening to this album that much. I don't know if I'm going to return to it a lot in the future. I don't know how much of my engagement with it is because I like intellectual exercises sometimes. Exactly. It's this has been like a problem that I've been trying to figure out and that is so much fun to dig into because it goes very deep. And I've had to push myself in a way that I didn't think I would need to. And but I've wanted to do it because it's been so fascinating. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we're doing the podcast. And we're doing the podcast, so we should do it. How do you feel about the fact that Tom was inspired by Blue Planet to write this song? Are you suggesting, though, that it's not very profound to be inspired by Blue Planet? Yeah, well, I, I, I realized that I had to, when I heard that or read that, that I realized I had to like fight against my own desire to have the art that I'd like be inspired by art that I don't know. You would rather it be inspired by some random ocean documentary than right. the most popular ocean documentary ever made. Exactly. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's sort of the experience of when you, when you find out or if you find out that the aeroplane over the sea is inspired by the diary of Anne Frank hmm. by Neutral Milk Hotel. Right? I mean, he talked very earnestly about like the whole album is just about that book. And you're like, what? I mean, everyone read that book. Why would you, you know, but there's this sort of bias or this sort of expectation that for great art of any sort, it has to be drawing from sources that are not familiar. And Blue Planet is just very familiar. I think it's totally fine. And it's actually great. I mean, like it's a, it's refreshing even that he is inspired by Blue Planet Okay, we got to keep moving or we're never going to... Yeah, but the next song that we're talking about is uh, Morning, Mr. Magpie. Mr. Magpie, when I first heard it back in 2011, I didn't understand Bloom. It was a very mysterious song, and I love mysterious Radiohead. I love experimental Radiohead. I love Kid A. I love Amnesiac. So I was sort of there for that. 
And then this song came on and this is when I started losing it <laughs> because it's a very itchy song and cold, especially the album performance. What was your impression like when you first heard it? I mean, like a very negative reaction, <laughs> especially once it got to the chorus. And I still right. have to admit that I don't really like this chorus. I like the verses much more than I did. Hmm. Chorus I'm still not sold on just because of the, I, just, I don't like that, how it runs up and that where it goes to the A flat at 4C. That chord, I don't like it. I, I agree. This seemed like they were trying to put an old song into a new form. And it is an old song. It's a song that's been around at least since Hail to the Thief and maybe maybe Kid A era. I can't remember exactly. But there is a performance of Tom on the acoustic guitar playing this in the early 2000s. Yeah. And it's very, very different. <laughs> it definitely feels like a they had this thing around and then they kind of were able to play it in the King of Limbs style and then they just put it out. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's this this sort of gnawing sense or suspicion that sometimes the other members of the band treat Tom as some sort of Delphic oracle where, like, every song idea that he deigns to bring to them, they have to do something with, for good or ill. Sometimes for very good, and then sometimes for very ill. This is sort of somewhere in the middle. I feel like they did capture it in sort of King, King of Limbs style. And like I said, I really like the verse, even though this guitar part is going to destroy me. Trying to play trying to play any semblance of what it sounds like on the album at that speed. It's so hard. And it's just, it's basically three notes. I know, I know. It's been driving me up the wall and I love it. I love it. I love I it. I love it. Love it. <laughs> I have listened to this so many times. The song really opened up when I tried to learn how to play it. And I realized that it was a repeated phrase on the guitar, a very short repeated phrase. And that you're essentially, it's almost like you're scratching the string. Yeah. Or like you're picking it. And it's a very like up, down, up, down, up, or something <laughs> that. It's, in its time, there's like three of this and then three of another thing, but it's happening in a in a like a two second window that you have to get right. right. And if you don't get it right, it sounds horrific. Yeah, it doesn't sound right. Like if you don't like, I don't know how. You, did you tune it down your guitar? I did. Yeah. It's like first I had to tune my guitar down, and then I realized I had to adjust the bridge so that it didn't just completely buzz. Uh, oh, I see. Up, up against the fretboard because the string was so loose. But like, if you're not hitting that, like the twelve twelve, you know, like the the D and the A really quickly before you hit on the fifteenth uh, C, right? Like, doo -doo 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 -doo, or it's different now that I've tuned it differently. But I only have it, you know. But like, if you don't hit those yeah. two notes really quick, and then before like, doo -doo 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 -doo, it doesn't sound right. I could talk about this guitar line forever, right? Yeah. Because the problem is, is that you start really quick. You have these like butterdom, and then you have like this da, 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 where that that note comes like on every upstroke, right? Like, upstroke. Bum, bum, yeah. Bum, 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 bum. And but then when you go down to the fourteenth fret, you have like da, 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 
it's like it stutters twice. Yep. You're so used to like playing like da 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 da. You want to just keep doing that, but then you mm-hmm. have to stutter the notes. I mean, it's it's like a, a jazz musician would be would be fine. You think? I think a jazz I think a jazz guitarist, you know, or a jazz any jazz musicians who for some reason are listening to this podcast and not like pulling their hair out would be like, <laughs> these guys are just amateurs, which we are. We you are. Know, we are very, but you know, that it's just that that's what I, that's what I was talking about earlier. I don't know. Or at some point with this, like my guitar playing coming to a precipice where I need to be a better player to play this yeah. very simple line. Cause it, it is, it looks very simple on the page. It looks like a basic, I could have done this after, you know, a few months of playing guitar. Right. It's fast, but it's not like you're doing crazy stuff, but it's so much more involved. Right. I mean, like a, like a Metallica song is many more notes, but they're all kind of on the one ienda, two ienda, Right. Mm-hmm. Like you can count it. You're just like, okay, this is all 16 notes. I have to hit all of these notes on the one E and two E. And this is like the, you hear, you're like one E and a blah, 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 two and three and four and uh, one and N or two N E and a, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I don't know how to count this. Right. And unlike the in rainbow songs, there aren't a lot of videos online about this song. Almost none. And the ones that do, they just, they don't even try. They just like hit it. Right. They're just hitting the like notes to show you, but it doesn't actually sound like it does on the record. Right. It Uh, doesn't, I mean, to be honest, it doesn't really sound like it does on the record in the, from the basement recordings either. It doesn't. They definitely do kind of like, they speed it up a lot and make it a little thrashier. Yeah. Uh, And I kind of like it. Well, I think, yeah, like I think that they cheated. I know they cheated, but it is, it, it, it's, I mean, the from the basement thing, I don't know, we'd have to have a whole episode on that one. I just feel like they, they took this itchy, weird song and just gave it life. You know, I love it when, God, when Johnny just comes in and just plays one strummed chord mm-hmm. and it sounds so amazing. It's like this album forced them to pull back and get even simpler in some respects. This is an album wherein they are pushing themselves to really do stuff they've never done before. And that's exhilarating to see Radiohead keep doing that. You know, we we talked about like, oh yeah, they change every album and stuff, but like to see them try something so hard is just really astonishing. All right. And even this late in their career, like I, you know, I literally went to a Counting Crows concert last night and they're, they're just playing the same songs that they had when they were big in the nineties. And those were, I have a lot of affection for some of those songs, uh, but it, it was almost a little sad to see them sort of not being able to progress, I guess. Yeah. I mean, but that's not, that's it's just like, they're, yeah, they're not in a style that they could have progressed, but I guess you could look at Popular Honey and say, like, that's not a style that you can progress. That's true. And, you know, it, and I'm sure they're having fun, and I don't want to talk bad about them, but it definitely, at one point, it definitely seemed like, what is his name? Adam, Adam Duritz. Duritz, yeah. It just have definitely felt like Adam Duritz had sung 
Mr. Jones a few too many times. <laughs> well, isn't it like, he, isn't it, isn't he notorious for just singing different words all the time in yeah. his concerts? Yeah, he, he, uh, it was pretty butchered that version, but then he sang a, a good long December anyway. <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah, like Counting Crows is not a band, just to say, it's not a band that I return to much, but Round Here popped up on a playlist once and I was like near weeping. I was, I was, that's a great song. That's a very, actually. that's just like a very emotional song. And then I just was yeah. like back to, it, to 14 years old with like my whole life ahead of me. They're just totally opposite. I, we're going to keep talking about Counting Crows and Radiohead. They're totally different in that, you know, Counting Crows were so sincere and like put so much emotion into, you know, meaning those words. And Radiohead have done the opposite. I was just staring at the stage and I was like, these are just totally different bands. Like they can't, they're not even doing the same thing anymore. Yeah. Well, um, okay. I'm, yeah. yeah. Uh, see, <laughs> the th- you've, you've brought me to like what I've, what I've had to think about with this album and blah too. And then have to go back and also think about in general with Radiohead is the words, right? Cause like accounting crows, I mean, like he means what he is singing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm right there with him. Right. I, August and everything after I listened to enough, I could still quote to you all of those lines. And they're earnest. I think the longer Radiohead's career goes on, the less I think Tom means the words in their definition. You've got some nerve coming here. I mean, that's what? Well, okay, so I don't know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is fun. This is apparently a British thing, but do you know about magpies? Sure. And like you're supposed, when you see one, you're supposed to like wish it good morning. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't know that at all. So like the idea of morning Mr. Magpie, I thought it was some made up nonsense for uh-huh. until no, 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 recently. No, no, I knew that. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't know. I didn't know you're supposed to say good morning to magpie or that you'll get bad luck. Right. They'll steal and things so, from you. Or there's still things from you. And so the song does like, you've got some nerve coming here. <laughs> mm. um, you stole it all. Give it back. But he's not really mad at a magpie. Right. He's <laughs> like, I think he's trying to use it to delve into something unknown about how we live our lives. And that doesn't mean that's any better or than singing something very earnestly and meaning it so much i don't think tom can do what adam derwitz does or eddie vetter does where like he's trying to connect with you the person i prefer usually the radiohead side of things but i do have a lot of affection for the overly earnest things sometimes right or like the overly bookish like there's an interview with Oh, what's his name? Will Sheffield from Oakerville River. Okay. Where he just like sort of comes out and says, Radiohead lyrics are horrible. They're, <laughs> they're a great band. Lyrics are bad. Huh. Because I mean, he has very bookish, like, you know, historical references, literary references. You, know. you could almost read them as poems. Right. And they would stand up and no one, you know, everything in its right place does not stand up to poetry. Yeah, does it? no, it, like it doesn't sound poetry, but I, I uh, see, I just this, 
talking about this album is <laughs> such a pretentious. No, this, is, this album is such a fascinating work, and I wasn't expecting to be able to dive so deep into it. Hail to the Thief was such a disappointment that we couldn't do that. Yeah. I kept trying to find ways into it and it didn't feel like it. But this album, every song kind of brings up some fascinating concept. Yeah. Also with this album, I struggled with that the words are not there's no there's no stories. There's mm-hmm. not that there's not really images. There's very little to hang your hat on. Okay, we gotta yeah, we gotta oh keep going. God. This is surprisingly <laughs> in depth for okay. So the next song is little by little. In 2011, by track three, little by little, I was feeling just exhausted because things are just shaking in your ears constantly. It's a very dour sounding song at first. It's a dirge. I mean, like, right? Yeah. There's a little ray of sunshine in the in the chorus. It's almost like a nursery rhyme, like little by little, by hook or by crook. I'm such a tease and you're such a flirt. But uh, it's just one of those songs that it's it's once again pretty long and it's just very mechanical sounding on the record. And it's layered. I mean, there's so many guitar parts. But then, yeah. my God, when I saw the From the Basement performance, they totally saved this song. <laughs> yeah. The, the From the Basement por- performance is astronomically better from the very beginning, first of all, they, they it's a little slower, mm-hmm. so it's less disorienting. And then at the very beginning, Tom tells everyone to stop, except for the drums and Colin. And then you realize Colin has this incredible bass line. Yeah. Oh, my God. That just is astonishing. And it, and it changes how you hear the song. And then you realize that the song, when you think it starts, it's actually like a beat in to where it actually starts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're playing on the, they're essentially playing the guitars on the offbeat. This is one of those songs that I never thought of before. And now I go back to it all the time. Yeah. I would not have paid attention to it unless I had to try and learn it. Yep. And then, yeah, you're right. That like when he, when it stops and it's just the bass line and the drums. This one sounds the most mechanical to me. It doesn't feel real, I guess. I mean, I know it's real instruments, but it feels like they're playing very precisely and the from the basement performance has a lot of swing in it and mm-hmm. it's slower and so it feels more of like a groove that's a good way um, to put it yeah like it, gro- it immediately grooves on the from the basement whereas this is a dirge on the album like this is like yeah. a kind of a march i do i do think that like the the verse is pretty i didn't know any of these words were here before on the verse before I looked at him on the page, Tom's mumbling them and he's or singing them very flat on the recording. So, I mean, other than that, I don't have a whole lot to say about this song, I guess. I, I mean, I don't either. I, 
this is more of a discussion for when we get through the whole album. Because I find that in terms of sequencing, when you're listening to this album for the first time or when you're coming back to it and trying to get through it, I mean, like this being at the third spot yeah, just kind of kills you. Like even it, when it you really get exhausting. it into the album, you know, you're used to at least by the third song on any Radiohead album, save for Hail to the Thief, that they just take it off for you, right? Like there's just, it's crazy, it's fun. Or there's some sort of uplift, like you've had... By this point, you've had Pyramid Song, or you've had Kid A, or you've mm-hmm. had Paranoid Android, and now, you know, you're into Homesick, Subterranean, Alien, whereas this is just like, ah, okay, you know, you've had, you have like this rhythmic claustrophobia of Bloom, and then you have this sort of strangeness of Miss Morning Mr. Magpie, and then this just doesn't take off, especially on the album. And then the sequencing on the, from the basement is completely different. It is totally different. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the songs. They, they, you know, they added a couple songs. I think it's a much better listening experience. They move songs around. I understand they have like a rhythmic half and then sort of a dreamier half or a slower half. When you put all the scratchy, you know, shaky songs together, it almost makes them less surprising. Like, because these are very strange recordings. Yeah. And I think that if they were sequence differently then you would be like oh that that song's so strange and awesome or Mm -hmm. so like different but when they're all together it's like it becomes both tiring but then it feels like they're stuck in a rut almost right you're not able to see differences with them because they seem more alike than different when they're grouped together like this right i think that you can look at the sequencing two ways and one you can look at it it's bad it's just bad. They should have spread it out. They should have taken more of the approach like they did on the live performance. And, I don't, and I'm still not sh- sure about this point that I want to make because I'm going to make it later. But I think like, if you look at the sequencing as a whole for these eight, you know, the, and they're just they're just asking you for eight songs as opposed right. to 10 or 12 or something. Uh, it does make sense in the way that like a slow build chapter at the beginning of a book makes sense. Even if you're sort of like, you know, you get to chapter three and you're like, okay, let's go somewhere. That was my last sort of point about this song is just where it is. Yeah. Fun to, much more fun to play than I expected. So much fun to play. Like that part that just even the beginning part. Just that run is is pretty fun. Yeah. Okay. We Let's have get, to. We, we gotta, have to, we gotta, we gotta one keep more going. Song. <laughs> we got one more song. Okay. The next song is Feral. project started if you asked me what was my least favorite radiohead song 
I'm pretty confident I would have said it was feral. This is one of those songs where it just felt like there was nothing to hold on to. And it's so glitchy sounding that this is one, this is the song where it's like, this is just anxiety manifested in sound where it just would drive me crazy. Oh, I mean, this is the song that stuck with me because I loved it so much. We are just different. We are just different people. No, but now I love it. I don't know why. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. This is a song with almost no structure. Brad Osborne calls this a monothematic form. Rather than set up discrete contrasting sections, a monothematic form has no sections. (laughs) It's constantly evolving a single idea, a thematic kaleidoscope. Feral, for example, starts with a two-drum set groove that seems to be pulled directly from a funk break accompanied by only a set of whole note chords. York's voice appears, but sparingly, not as a sung melody of any sort, but as yet another sampled texture. There's no intro, there's no outro. The piece simply ends after adding and subtracting layers and samples. Awesome. I mean, like, it's it's awesome, but it's also... I mean, I love listening to this song. I do go back and listen to this song just sort of individually because I just find yeah. it so haunting and fascinating. And that that one line that like do 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 do. Bum 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 bum. Right. <laughs> I love it. I'm like at home. I want to live in that line. I don't know what okay. it is. I don't um, either. That's pretty. That line reminds me of the album cover the most of the tree and the monsters. What do you think about the album cover, by the way? I like it. I mean, okay. I, yeah. Even when I wasn't listening to the album, I would have it sort of prominently displayed because I found like it looked like a cool album cover. We didn't talk about it. I think In Rainbows is the best album cover. Um, hmm. And this one I find with the little monsters a little disappointing. Or maybe A Moonshaped Pool is the best. Or Kid A. <laughs> They're all pretty good. Amnesiac's um, the best. You're just not. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's the best. No, In Rainbows is like just a masterpiece. Anyway, did you know any of these words were here in the lyric sheet? It's, I mean, like, the, the, they weren't there. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> he doesn't even try to sing those on the live version. He's just like, pa, pa, pa. Right. It apparently says, you are not mine. I'm not yours. It's all fine. Please don't judge. Right. But Those on the, aren't. On the side, this is like vocal ad lib throughout. But I, I really think that they just went for it. And I like the G minor chord played throughout. Yeah. I think that sounds amazing. And I like the album version. I think, once again, the From the Basement performance is pretty astonishing. Mm-hmm. When you have both drummers, Phil, and then the drummer from Portishead, whose name is Clive. Deemer, you know, he worked with Porter's head all the time. And when they're playing together, it's so full and it feels full of life. I feel like a, a little bit the album performance is a little thin once again, but it, it definitely does have that feral, like you don't know what's going to happen at any second of this song. And I think that it's one of the most exciting parts of the first half. And I, I realized I really like monothematic songs. Because it what it reminded me a lot of actually um, early Nine Inch Nails that I really used to like. 
and he does that a lot. I mean, like closer is basically one idea where he layers. He go he takes you through two courses, and then it's just an outro that is two minutes. Yeah, of him it, just screwing around. Of him just like, yeah, of him, of him just like adding layers onto the same idea and taking them, adding them and taking them away the rest of the time. And like that song is amazing. Yep. Yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> and then he does that on that on that album. There's a couple songs where he just does that. Where he just like puts tons of stuff on, takes it out, and some of it is recognizable, some of it isn't. I mean, the best part of a monothematic, it sounds like it should be super boring. It sounds like you're just hitting the same note over and over again. Yeah. But it's not. It's your a constant sense of discovery because you have to keep it interesting. The element of surprise is paramount in that kind of form, and I think it's used very well. I mean, it helps that the song is the shortest song on the album, yeah. I never want this to be longer, but I wish more of the album were like this, honestly. Yeah, I kind of do too. It feels alive. It feels like you're in a forest, maybe running away from a goblin or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> and then it goes, bum, 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 bum. Right. Like in a horror movie. Yeah, and it's like, but it's not It's not exactly minor, right? It's like, bum, 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 bum. There's almost kind of like a children's song lilt to it. You're totally right. It's not a terror kind of thing. It's a playful, weird. Which makes it which makes it worse, right? Which yeah. makes it worse because <laughs> you don't know, but. right? No, exactly. Yeah, you don't know why it's playing. Going back through this, it definitely does feel like Bloom sets up the album in a very confused state, but in a, a kind of wonderful mm-hmm. state. I have grown to appreciate both. Morning, Mr. Magpie, and Little by Little. But I wish it... I like the album more of, like, Bloom and Feral. Yeah, no, this has been very surprising. And that's why I've been wanting... That's why I wanted to talk about it, because this act of discovery has been the most uh, unexpected of all the albums. Definitely. I wasn't expecting to have this much to say about King of Limbs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I don't know if it's because I... Yeah, I th- I think just because of the music, but it's also this element of I didn't remember it, and so it's almost new coming into it with so much more knowledge as I than I was previously. Even though I had listened to every Radiohead song, right before I listened to this album the first time, right, but not as closely. I didn't learn all of the songs. I didn't talk about them. Ultimately, I think that's like what our podcast is arguing for. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you have like these moments of like excitement and revelation and discovery when you really dig into something and then move on to the next thing. So next week, we're going to talk about Lotus Flower, Codex, Give Up the Ghost, and Separator. All the songs on the Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast are by Radiohead and performed by Nick Kendallsperger and Austin Diaz. Mm-hmm.